0: Hello and welcome to Undercurrent Stories. I'm Bob Wells. My guest today is Bill Cunningham, historian and tour guide. In today's episode, we're in South Lincolnshire, England, in the historic Georgian market town of Stamford, once described by Sir John Betjeman as the most attractive in England. In this episode, Bill gives us a brief history of Stamford. We then go into some detail and hear the stories about five famous and in some cases infamous people who lived here. And finally, we discover how to find out more about the history of Stanford, which was recently named best place to live by the Sunday Times. Bill has an amazing enthusiasm for history, has a brilliant grasp of the subject, and conveys his knowledge with some wry humour. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, I'm in the wonderful Georgian market town of Stanford. Uh, it's about halfway between London and York, about 90 miles north of London. It's been used for things like films. Middlemarch was filmed here, the television series. It's got a population of about 20,000, and I've come to meet a close friend of mine who is a tour guide of Stamford. And so welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you very much,
1: Bob. Tell us a bit about Stamford, Bill. Well, Stamford's been around for quite a few years. Um, it's um, really initially started with the Saxons. They uh, They built a a little tiny settlement on the River Welland, at the highest point of crossing that you can do. And uh, they laid stones on the the base of the river, and hence Stamford was initially known as Stony Ford. And that's how it developed into Stamford. And this is the, is the lowest point of crossing you could have between here and the sea. And therefore, that's how the town developed. So, I noticed we're crossing a river at the moment. This yeah. is, what river is this built? This is the River Welland. Yeah, it uh, flows into the Wash and it's critical to Stamford's development over the years because in years gone by, medieval times, the roads are rubbish and it's much better to transport things by water. And here, they could, uh, where we're standing now, if you want to have a quick look, if you look down the river here, you'll see lots of buildings to the right wow yeah when you get to the far end you'll see an old uh, Georgian building uh, and that's uh, an old uh, wharf an old uh, for loading cargo and you see, you'll still see the um, the the, the b- b- bits where they load the, the, the boats up in years gone by so it's
0: a beautiful day here bit cold bit blowing we just crossed the river and there's some lovely Georgian houses made out of limestone bill
1: yeah limestone yes uh, Stamford is a stone town probably one of the finest stone towns in England it's built on a uh, a layer of Jurassic stone that runs from Dorset up to North Yorkshire. And hence, it's uh, ver- in, in, up until uh, recent times, it's almost exclusively built in stone.
0: Great. Well, what we're going to do today is there's a lot to learn about in Stamford, but I think one of the things we'll do today is we'll actually find out about some of the people who are associated
1: or lived in Stamford. We're going to go to a grave first. Oh, that's a, that's a nice sobering <laughs> thought book. And we'll start off in a happy chappy called Daniel Lambert. And when we get there I'll just run through that window.
0: so we're just coming up to talk about the famous Daniel Lambert Before that let's just find out a bit about you Bill what makes you so interested in Stanford and history and stuff like that
1: essentially uh, I'm a retired businessman now and but all my life I had a passion for history and now as I've given up work I'm fully exploring this passion yeah and we guide at a local steady uh, home called uh, Grimson Castle which uh, is a wonderful uh, undiscovered, least well-known of the, the great English stately homes, and now I'm also a guide at Stamford Town. Uh, we're known as the Mayor's Guide, and we, we launch in about a week or two's time.
0: Oh, so it's a, it's a fairly new, a new venture, set of guides, yes. is
1: it? But, we don't know, but we're under the direction of Jill Collins, who's a blue oh, right. badge guide, yeah. and she's been in the business for over 35 years. And uh, it's been a great experience, learning and exploring about the history of Stamford. Uh, I knew a fair bit anyway, because I'm, you know, I'm a bit of a history nerd. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but now we're doing it uh, properly. Excellent. So,
0: what we will do later on in the show, we'll we'll talk a bit more about how people can find out more about the mayor's guides.
1: So, how far are we now from Daniel Lambert? Um, I'm going to turn left up this street here, uh, and uh, we'll be at the graveyard in a couple of minutes. Excellent. What sort of age are these buildings? Uh, the ones we're going past now are early, early 19th century. Yeah. They're actually the buildings of a brewery that was here, a malt house as well. And you can tell these these are used to where they used to brew the beer. It's, it's interesting
0: actually because every time I come to Stamford, there's always sign of an old brewery somewhere. There must have been more than one
1: or two breweries there. There were several because Stamford was a stage coaching town between it's a halfway between London and York, and you, the stage coaches used to ply their trade here, which meant you had a large number of very thirsty travellers, and hence the breweries um, were developed. And uh, there's only one left now, it's, it's more like a, a showpiece brewery. But um, Yeah, I
0: mean, I mean the, the, the inn that everybody's heard of, well, a lot of people have heard of, is, is,
1: is, of course, the George. Of course, yes. Very famous. Yeah, the George has been around a long time. It's been around close on a 1,000 years. The current building is uh, very early Georgian, uh, but prior to that, during medieval times, it was hostelry to accommodate the many pilgrims who come to Stamford. Because in the early medieval times, Stanford was a, a very serious town, with about over half a dozen monasteries and friaries, and 14 parish churches. Therefore, we had a huge number of, of pilgrims come to visit the town, yeah. and the George helped accommodate them. Okay. So, uh, George is a more recent name for it. Yeah.
0: So, we're just coming up to uh, a, f- a cemetery now, and um, Daniel Lambert, here, here we've got a sign here, Daniel Lambert lies buried in his old churchyard of St
1: Martin's. Yes, we've just crossed the river. So we're in the um, they call it St Martin's Without. Uh, so it's uh, it's um, separated. Got the north north of the river used to be the Danish time, the Viking settlement. Yeah. South of the river was a Saxon settlement. So we're currently, in the Saxon part. Yeah. Put up in 972 by King Edgar. Daniel Lambert was not a, a local man. He was actually from Leicester, and uh, he was the son of the uh, jailer of Leicester's jail, and he came to. Stanford in eighteen hundred nine, and he had the misfortune to die here in one of the local inns. What it was, Daniel Lambert was famed because of the the largest and fattest man in England. At the time of his death in eighteen hundred nine, he weighed just shy of fifty three stone, and his um, thighs uh, were a, a metre in circumference, and he was three metres around the waist. He was the son of the local, uh, the lesser jailer. Unfortunately, in eighteen hundred five the jail closed and he had to exhibit himself uh, that was common in the times. so he'd travel around a specially designed coach and people would pay to see him he spent a lot of time down in London uh, showing himself off strange enough he was actually a, quite a favourite with the ladies in was those he? days Yes, the Georgians had very strange tastes and he came to Stamford to exhibit himself because in those days Stamford in Georgian times was a, a, a very very popular tourist resort the communication was good because of the stagecoaches and he came here and unfortunately he died uh, he weighed uh, 53 stone and the, it took 20 men to take his body out of the, the inn that he died in they had to knock down the windows and the doors to get him here wow. and when they got to his grave they couldn't just lower him into the grave they had to build a sort of ramp over several feet to lower him down into it how old was he when he died? he was 39 not real but then it, oh, that weight you probably don't expect to live too long um, but to, to, in his defence, he was not a glutton. He had a medical condition, genuine medical condition, yeah. which meant that he got very fat. Yeah. He also was a virtually a teetotal as well. He has been uh, here for about 115. He's years. A, per-
0: permanent <laughs> a permanent <laughs> yeah. resident. Permanent <Yeah>. resident. <laughs> so this, I can see his grave now. It's quite a big headstone, isn't
1: it? Yes. Yeah. Unusually, it's actually in slate. It's not in the local limestone.
0: It's got a width of nearly a meter, and it's about 1.5 meters high, and it's one of the largest
1: gravestones in the cemetery, and it certainly stands out with its slate. Slate, you don't really get here. You'll find with Stanford things are in stone, because it's surrounded by, a, a, you know, very important quarries from medieval times, Barnack quarries, very close by, and of course that's one whereby... Uh, it, cathedrals like Peterborough and Ely are constructed from Barnack Stone and you've got Collie Western which is Collie Western Slate which the roofs in Stamford you'll see are done in Collie Western Slate or the older buildings are uh, which is a very skilful trade to run to put on on the the ceilings So they're they're still extracting the slate are they? They've just started up again. They'd shut down in the 60s, yeah. and they've just started... Yeah, because it's the, quite a complicated process.
0: So there's renewed interest in, in traditional stoneworking, is there?
1: Um, yes, there is, there is. Um, I say up until the advent of the railways, um, Stanford was built of stone, because in, you have to imagine those days, you can't really transport stone very easily by road. Uh, and therefore, um, when the railways came along... Um, you, you, you could um, get more stone in so up until the railway time the local stone was used then after the advent of the railways stone from other parts of the country or indeed overseas was okay. brought in Yeah, and of course bricks as well
0: Yeah. before we move on to our next person is there anything else we, we need to hear about Daniel Lambert that's of interest
1: I think we covered the most of it. No, it yes, he was, he was very popular with the ladies. Um, uh, he was also, uh, after his death, uh, his clothing was left in, I believe, the George possibly. I'm not certain of that. And when Tom Thumb, the, the famous midget, came to visit in uh, mid-Victorian times, uh, Tom Thumb, plus one of his lady friends, uh, managed to actually uh, sit inside wonderful Daniel Lambert's pockets. So, uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Thanks very much. So let's let's
0: move on to our next person. So we're back now with Bill. We're at St George's Church, also known as St George's Square. This is, I think, where a lot of the Middlemarch series was filmed. You can really see the familiarity of the the building. So, Bill, tell me all about this
1: place. Well, St George's Square is arguably one of the finest Georgian squares in the country, and certainly in the provinces. Yeah, you're right, it has been used for for filming. Middlemarch, a lot of Middlemarch was filmed here. And also Pride and Prejudice as well was filmed here, Right. And to your left, you see uh, the building there, number 20. A very nice Georgian building, classical format, etc. Uh, but one of its most significant uh, um, residents, shall we say, uh, lived here in the 1920s. He was a, a chap who was called Arnold Lees. Arnold Lees. Arnold Lees, yes. He was, a, a, oddly enough, actually, a camel vet. And he's an extremely... So, sorry, can you just say that again? A camel vet. A camel as vet. In the creatures with humps. And he
0: was... The so they, they actually had guys that were specifically involved looking after camels. Um, so you've got to remember, the
1: days of the British Empire. We had India, we had yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and he was a camel vet We did time with the army. Yeah. In fact, they even have a camel's tick um, disease named after him as well. So he was a uh, well-renowned, but he moved to Stamford in the 1920s. And he was a chap who was um, a teetotal, vegetarian animal lover, um, which was... Probably uh, suitable for his other great hero, Adolf Hitler, who was also another great humanitarian, uh, teetotal animal lover. Because Arnold Lees was one of the First original members of the British Fascist Party was uh, he run by Oswald Mosley right yeah
0: yes uh, so we're talking what 1920s 1924 he came 1924 yeah and
1: he was a great fan of uh, uh, Mussolini as well yeah uh, one of the uh, he he actually claimed that Stanford were the first ones to introduce the black shirts for the British Fascist Party yeah and he uh, was very very extreme indeed extremely anti-Semitic. Um, and uh, he actually found the Oswald Moses British Fascist Party a bit too moderate. In fact, his description of them, they were conservative with knobs on. So he, he, he found it, you know, not, not quite to his taste. So he ended up um, uh, leaving Oswald Moses Party and forming his own Imperial British Fascist Party. Uh, but in the end, he found Stanford a bit too quaint and mild for him. So he, he moved to the um, revolutionary town of Guildford and carried on from there. <laughs> uh, he was unrepentant. He um, was unrepentant with regard to Hitler. He was arrested in 1940 because he was obviously being a bit of a um, subversive. Yeah. Um, he wasn't going to be arrested. When he started kicking the policemen who came to visit him, he wasn't arrested and interned and he uh, died in the 1950s, and oddly enough, um, in 1960, when the British um, National Party put up their new headquarters, they named it um, after himself, the Arnold Lees building, so um, that was him. Um, Also, Stamford has a bit more significance, because Stamford is the only town, or only place in England, to elect members of the British Fascist Party to local office. They elected them two of them as councillors, and not only did they elect them once, they elected them twice. Now, whether that is something for Stanford to boast about, I'm not really too sure. It's probably part of Stanford's history that they <laughs> prefer to we'll forget We'll call it the, the, the hidden or secret history, yes, shall we yes, say. Yes, yes. Um, but probably not the, the, the finest of characters no. for the town to boast. No, oh, no, but he came um, to live here in, in the 1920s, yeah. and left uh, to go to uh, the hot spot that is uh, Guildford. Guildford. OK. So we're just
0: coming up a cobbled street uh, called Barn Hill, and... Bill, are you going to tell,
1: tell us about somebody else now in Stamford? Yeah. We're in Barnhill, um, one of the finest streets in Stamford, and it's always been one of the richest streets in Stamford. And it's had many interesting residents over the years, but uh, the property just opposite us, a fine Georgian building of 1740. One of its residents was a chap called Edward Edwards. He was a naval captain. And his claim to fame was basically that uh, he commanded HMS um, Pandora, and it's a ship that was sent out by the Admiralty to go and arrest the mutineers of the uh, the bounty, who were then out in the uh, South Sea Islands. So he sailed out there, and he managed to recapture the mutineers, or some of them anyway. And uh, also, he, when the bounty uh, was muti the occurred, there weren't enough room in the boat that Captain Bligh went on uh, for all the loyal sailors. So he also arrested some of the loyal sailors who were also. In the South Sea Islands and put them into prison along with the, um, the mutineers. So he, he recaptured a load of them, put them in cages on his boat. they called them Pandora's boxes. And he was a bit of a bit of a savage man, a flogger and a hanger and a beater. And uh, unfortunately, he managed to get shipwrecked off the Australian coast, and he lost half the mutineers. And eventually, by the time he got back to London, he's put on court, uh, trial a court martial for being basically incompetent. But he managed to get off okay, and, uh, and he, uh, he was actually a local man and uh, he came back to Stanford. He ended up being an admiral, oddly enough, that shows how um, um, talented the, uh, the uh, Navy was in those days. And he Very came, admiral of uh, them. Absolutely, yeah. And he came back and t- he lived here for the latter years of his life and died in about 1809, an admiral of the fleet. Uh, but really in general not a particularly nice guy.
0: No, certainly a lovely property and, and as you said earlier on Bill, the, the properties right here are beautiful. Oh and yes, the yes. common streets I mean, that, that, that's, and
1: everything. That's classic, um, classic um, uh, Georgian, what you call um, uh, pattern book uh, architecture. You'd get the uh, Bob the Builder would come round to see the client and the client would flick through the Bob the Builder's uh, pattern book to what he wants and here you see it's a classic one. So this client is picked uh, the lower windows are a very particular style very very fancy the upper windows again had a completely different style and the dormer windows and ceiling again totally different it just had one of everything yeah. basically so it could show off next door to the, the more plainer earlier property so we could say I'm, I'm considerably richer than Yao shall we say <laughs> <laughs> let's take a, a little bit of Gander further up
0: so we're just coming up a little hill here oh that's a nice property Bill
1: yeah, that's the largest
0: private house in Stamford. Just to give you an idea of what it looks like, it's a, very much a square building. Probably built in what 1800s,
1: 1700s, no, 1698. Oh, I wasn't far off. But Six, you were right in a way because it was massively remodeled in the 1642. It was purchased by uh, the second Marquesses Exeter, of Exeter, um, who are the local main aristocratic family. They live in a. Burley House across the water and he purchased it for the visit of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert Yes, Uh, and he redid the facings of it so you were right, the frontage is actually Victorian and um, he built it because Queen Victoria and Albert would come to visit Burley House and he thought that it wasn't uh, he didn't have enough room, because not only was Queen Victoria visiting, but also her ministers and Prime Minister Uh, One, uh, the Prime Minister at times, Robert Peel who founded the police force and uh, so he basically constructed that building Lovely property, very grand. So Queen Victoria stayed down at um, Burley House and Sir Robert Peel stayed just here. And when they left, it came in very handy because he used it to accommodate his mistress in future years. (laughs) So probably, no doubt, a few parties went on in that building.
0: I'd like to think so. (laughs) We'll uh, we'll move on. We're now at another part of Stamford and I'm looking across at a building called the Old Rectory. We're on St Peter's Hill. Bill, are you going to tell me about somebody
1: famous here? Well, not somebody famous, they were in in their time, in the Victorian times. uh, uh, I touched on Edward Edwards, who was not a particularly pleasant character, so let's run through some more unpleasant characters. Um, St Peter's Hill, uh, and leading St Peter's Square, in St Peter's Peter's Road, um, in, in this road there used to be a house which was owned and occupied by a chap called Thomas Bacon and his wife Martha. Uh, Thomas uh, was born in Stamford, son of a sort of local, uh, they call him whitesmith and blacksmith, he was a w- metal worker, quite well-to-do, reasonably. Whitesmith? Yes, yeah. Uh, he, he worked with metals, basically. Well, I've heard Stanford. of a blacksmith, yeah, but a yeah. whitesmith. Well, they work with different types of metals. And um, so he was reasonably well-to-do, and he came to great fame in the 1850s, because... Um, been accused of murder in an unfortunate way. Born in Stanford, uh, got married here, not a very nice character. He was uh, sued for um, non payment of bills. He uh, defrauded the gas uh, gas corporation because he diverted uh, gas pipes into his house without paying for it. He got uh, uh, the daughter, he seduced the daughter of a local merchant and got her pregnant. Anyway, he ended up marrying and um, Uh, then uh, one occasion his his dad came round to his dad owned the property here in St Peter Street and his dad had a nice meal with him and uh, about um, the following day his dad was dead and um, at his mother's funeral he was heard to say uh, sorry at his father's funeral he was heard to say well only the mother to go now and then she came round for luncheon of she died a, a few hours later Bill this this
0: guy doesn't sound like a very nice person
1: not it gets worse it gets worse his, his wife was called Martha and she had a history of mental illness and uh, because uh, he, he, he then just moved down to London with Martha and he had, they had two children anyway and they moved down to London rather rapidly actually possibly because he wasn't really that popular in the town so he got down to London and within about two or three months of arriving in Mon- London um, when he was supposedly down in Rygate on a visit he um, his wife claimed that the house was burgled, and her two children had been murdered, and she'd been attacked. So when the the policeman went round there, sure enough, the little baby child in its chair downstairs with its throat cut, and upstairs was their two year old baby daughter also with a throat cut. Um, the police were a little bit suspicious, and um, the mother was put on trial, uh, and she promptly accused, uh, blamed the murder on her husband, um, and so. It went to trial, he was acquitted and she was found guilty but uh, was consigned to a lunatic asylum because she was mentally ill, uh, which duly happened. However, it did create a bit of suspicion because here we are on St Peter's um, uh, Street, he had his house here, his business wasn't doing very well, and his house had burnt down, down and the insurance had to pay out after a legal battle. So this property over here, this is... What was built
0: over where his old house was? was uh,
1: yeah, on this street. Was on, on what year was are we talking? Uh, 18. His, his father died in 1854 yeah. uh, after having lunch with him. His mother died in 1855 after having lunch with him. He moved down to London uh, not long after the mother's death. The house burnt down in 1855 and they just went down to London. Right. And uh, that's when the two children were, were yeah. murdered. But because of all the... The, the trial caused a big sensation, not just in the UK, but also overseas, you know, child murder was one of those, you know, quite a big issue, and um, it focused on, well hang about, what's happened to his to his mum and dad? So uh, the police got involved and they went to Stamford, and um, uh, requested the exhumation of the mother's body, and after a bit of a legal wrangle, because the authorities didn't want to do it in case they found out they made a mistake, uh, they did exhum the body and after post-mortem it's found it contained arsenic so it was in fact murder and it was traced that he in fact um, bought arsenic from a local uh, chemist shop in Redline Square in Stanford shortly before his mother's death.
0: A very sad story. A very
1: sad yeah and yeah. one neighbour saw him when his mother was ill the first time round. when she'd had the meal, she was ill yeah. then had a bit of a recovery so he went round to visit her with a bottle of medicine which he gave to her and then she died not long afterwards. So he went to trial and was actually found guilty yeah. of his mother's murder. Probably did his dad in as well. But yeah. uh, strangely enough, um, he wasn't hung. He was actually uh, sentenced to life imprisonment. Because although they f- found him guilty of the murder, it was a pretty close shave to do it. Mm. And he ended up being transported to Australia did and died about 10 or 15 years later. Right. His life- wife, on the other hand, Martha, she lived for another 30 years after her husband's death. And she was one of the first... Um, we'd call inmates of broad, the newly constructed Broadmoor Prison, yeah, which uh, has come to fame as a, the home of um, many a famous yes, psych- yes, psychotic, psychotic yes. murderer. Oh, that's, a, that's a very yeah. sad story, yeah. Bill. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you yeah, know, Sanford has got one or two um, unsavoury individuals.
0: For such a lovely town, I suppose, oh, you know, yes, it, it, it puts a bit of a blight on it.
1: Really. Yeah, true, but, it, you know, like Thomas Bacon isn't well known now, but in, in Victorian times it was a major, major case. Yeah. Now, when you, you know... You're implicated in the murder of your two ch- young children, and also also found guilty of the murder of your mother, and very possibly the guilty of your father. It doesn't make you the nicest person around. No, it doesn't. Around. It doesn't. Okay. Yeah. So, Bill, um, we've
0: heard quite a lot about various people in Stamford. Is there anybody else you'd like to talk about? Well, do you want another un-
1: unpleasant person, Bill? How <laughs> many unpleasant people are there in Stamford?
0: <laughs> have you have, have you got another one to talk about then? Oh yes. Oh, oh come yes, on. Then, yeah. Come
1: on out with it. Well. I won't take you to where he was born, because I think that's unfair of the residents who probably occupy that house at the moment, but Stamford was the birthplace of a chap called John George Haig. He was born in Stamford in 1909 and um, died in, I believe, about 1948 um, on the gallows. Uh, John George Haig was born here to a fairly middle-class family. They were primitive brethren, a very religious family and he, he was brought up um, and they moved away from the town uh, when he was a teenager and, um, uh, but he did come back regularly and stayed at the George quite regularly he um, was basically a bit of a con man and a fraud and he unfortunately defraud people out of their money and always get caught and he had several spells in prison because each time he did a fraud he'd get caught, found out Basically, because and he sat in prison one day realising the problem I've got is I'm been caught on doing these frauds. Why? Because my victims are still alive. So he hatched <laughs> on a great way. And he had this theory that if the body couldn't be found, then no murder has been committed. So when he came out of prison, he did a few experiments involving acid. And um, so then he decided to uh, defraud uh, one of his friends and the parents of, of um, some money. He did that and he um, invited his friend round to his house. And this was in London at this point in time, not Stamford Hays in 20, he'd moved down to London. And he invited his friend round to um, his house, and he murdered him. And the method he got to dispose of the body was very simple. He had 40-gallon tanks of uh, sulfuric acid. And he put the body into the tank of sulfuric acid, leave it it there for about a fortnight. And at the end of the fortnight, he would literally pour the sludge down the drains that he had in his, his, his specially adapted garage. And he did that on several occasions, and uh, he defrauded someone, claimed the the rights to their property or whatever, uh, and get rid of the bodies after he'd murdered them. Unfortunately, he came um, to his comeuppance um, when um, he moved house. When you say unfortunately, fortunately for the rest of the people living near him. Yeah, he he moved house, and he didn't have the same drainage system. And he murdered um, a mature elderly lady who he'd befriended, and he uh, defrauded her and murdered her. But suspicion started to be aroused because, you know, it'd be noticed that he'd been known to her, um, and she she was a resident in a, a local hotel. And the police got suspicious, So they decided to search his house. But because he hadn't had the drainage system in, he'd actually just poured the sludge in the back garden, and the police managed to extract from the remainder of the sludge her dentures. Uh, which wouldn't the acid would not dissolve. Yeah. And then they also traced it back, and he was put on trial. And his defence was a couple of features. A, there's no body, therefore I can't be found guilty of these murders. Also came various things, like um, he was a vampire. Uh, yeah, he was a bit of a loose character, but anyway, he's found guilty. And the due process of the law proceeded, and he was hung. And so he was now known as John George Hague, the acid bath murderer. But I have to stress, he may have been born in Stamford, but he did his murders in London. Well, I, I should time. hope so, too. Because so you don't want to go down that there no, no, no,
0: no. So, we, so we've had quite a few stories built about, about various people, various famous people that have been associated with Stamford, which has been great. We've ended, really, on two two characters that are probably we don't want to know a lot more about. Is there anybody else that you'd like to talk about that we can leave on a
1: more positive note, that somebody, perhaps, who's been famous in Stamford? The most famous person people would, perhaps, would be uh, Malcolm Sargent, the... Uh, uh, the uh, famous um, uh, orchestra conductor. He was born and bred in Stamford. He lived in Stamford. He was. Um, uh, he learned. His father was an organ player, and he also himself learned to be an organ player at one of the parish churches of St John's. And he was a nice chap. Became very famous, and he didn't kill anybody. He didn't flog anybody, and he uh, ended up being a knight of the realm. He died in the late 1960s. Um, uh, he didn't. He, he just. This was his hometown, yeah. he lived here obviously made his fame when he moved down south to yeah. that there London But um, uh, and it, the sound is it sounds very, still very proud of him Yeah, uh, local schools named after him and they have uh, various concerts to do with him and um, yeah, yeah we can end on a bit of a higher note with regards Excellent, to
0: Bill it's been fantastic talking to you hearing about all these characters in Stamford so thank you ever so much for your time um, Before you go, where, where can people hear
1: more about you and what you're doing? Basically, we, we, um, I, I do guided tours of Stanford, no, known as the Mayor's Guides, and uh, we, oper- we start at the Town Hall steps, and we do that about four days a week. And if you search on our website, uh, uk, and you're able to find out a bit Well, more. we can
0: put that in the show notes after the yeah, yeah. program. Are you on other things like Facebook,
1: Instagram? That sort of thing as well. I'm a bit of a nerd, a bit of a dinosaur when it comes down to technology. (laughs) Yes, I am on Facebook, but not an official. Just as an individual. Well, like I say,
0: all that stuff we can put on. um, Anything else you want to say about the mayor's guides?
1: If you want a nice tour of Stamford, I won't go into the things what we just discussed. I don't make it gloomy about that. (laughs) But there, we'll talk about the buildings, the architects, and the history. Sounds fantastic. It's it's, um, yeah, I don't go into John George. No, 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 that's really not the thing to do with a tour of people (laughs) once again
0: Bill thanks ever so much for your time and uh, we'll speak soon thank Thank you go to today's guest Bill Cunningham historian, stately home guide and one of Stanford's mayor's guides check out the show notes for more details you have been listening to Undercurrent Stories I hope that you enjoyed the show please subscribe to the show for future episodes and if you like what you hear please rate and leave a review until next time this is Bob Wells wishing all the very best